0: I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And I love to start episodes with words of wisdom from my dead dad, Stephen John McInerney. He said a lot of things to us, most of which are not appropriate to say on a podcast. But one of the things that he used to say is that nobody knows shit about a relationship except the people in it. He was talking about marriage, but... It really does apply to any relationship. There are lots of observers to any relationship. Lots of people ready to comment and cast judgments. At first I'd written aspersions, but I wasn't sure what it meant. And I thought, Nora, only use words that you know. Anyway, I am a person who casts judgments and aspersions, which I did look up and it fits. That's why I watch... Real housewives. I mean, not all of them, but primarily Beverly Hills, New York. I love to cast my judgments on other people's friendships and marriages. But all relationships, all marriages are a little bit of a roller coaster. We've got highs, we've got lows, upsy-downies, topsy-turvies, motion sickness. We think, woo, this is great. Ah, We think, why did I sign up for this? Why am I strapped in? I can't even release the thing. I'm literally stuck. Get me out of here. This is a metaphor, in case my husband is listening. So this is the story of a relationship, one roller coaster that we get to observe. So let's start in 2011, when Emily was a college graduate
1: Probably like a scary time for me because I was, I went to school for nutrition and knew that wasn't what I wanted to do. So, kind of was graduating college without much of a plan. (laughs) So, I ended up like falling into a job that I was going to do for six months and I started the Monday after I graduated.
0: Emily shows up to that job ready to go and oblivious to the dress code.
1: So apparently we were only supposed to wear, like, subtle colors, like, you know, navy, white, gray, and I came in wearing pink.
0: (laughs) Like hot, hot pink, which to me is a subtle color that's a neutral in my world. But that hot pink sweater catches the eye of a guy who has also caught Emily's eye.
1: I was a retail manager, and he worked at the store like down the hall and was just friends with my boss um, ended up walking in because he wanted to borrow something and my boss introduced us and I just remember like he had like the best smile you could ever imagine like he seemed just like a really friendly guy he just started joking with me automatically
0: you hear that beep pew pew pew, 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 pew. Those are sparks flying. Sound effects by me. Pew, pew, pew. Sizzle, sizzle. That's not a a good sound. (laughs) Look, his name is Brian, and those sparks, they grew quickly.
1: I mean, dating Brian was great. I mean, we hung out all the time. He was always, you know, making time for me. We would go out to like restaurants, hang out around the city, like hang out on our lunch breaks. It was just like a lot of fun. He was someone who was friends with everybody, um, was super spontaneous. And for me, I, I really wasn't that person. I was a little bit more shy, kind of like a little bit more reserved, not super outgoing. So he like opened me up to doing things that I probably wouldn't have done on my own, like just you know, wanted to enjoy life to the fullest, like did anything with any opportunity that he had.
0: Because both Brian and Emily worked in retail, Brian at Hollister, which is a clothing company pretty much known for T-shirts and sweatshirts emblazoned with their name, popular with today's teens and also teens of my era, oddly. And Emily at Abercrombie & Fitch, which is a clothing company known for shirts emblazoned with their name. And also shirtless male models and like really racy catalogs that definitely wallpapered the dorm rooms of every girl I went to college with, myself included. And also known for just a very strong cologne that seems to pour from the ceiling and walls like an ever-present fog. Both of these brands are owned by the same parent company, and they often have stores in close proximity to one another, which means the background for all this romance was the embodiment of my perfect young person romantic dreams, the mall.
1: Honestly, it was really fun, you know, just like walking around the mall on our breaks, like having dates in the food court. It was just like really fun and like really innocent at the time.
0: It is. Like, there's something about the mall that is very, like, that's just very sweet. There's just something about it. I had a crush on a guy who worked at the same mall as me. It was unrealized. And um, if he's out there... Cameron. Cameron, why did you not like me back? I mean, I, I made it pretty clear. I smiled at you literally all the time. <laughs> what was the deal? Um, anyway... So, that's two years of, like, mall romance, taking spontaneous yeah. road trips, just just dreaminess, it sounds like to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Dating dreaminess becomes wedding dreaminess. These two lovebirds are young, 23 and 24. They tie the knot. They make it official. Love, honor, respect, and starting the rest of their lives together. Pretty quickly after the wedding, Brian is getting promoted, so the two of them move to follow his advancement. And moving, oh, moving is hard. It's stuff you have to start over. You rediscover the geography. I mean, your, your driving route to work. Like, that, that all changes. You have to figure out the basics of where your grocery store is. Who's going to cut your hair now? And if you want friends, you have to meet new people. Ugh.
1: We didn't really know anyone, and we were working a little bit different schedules, but things just kind of seemed a little bit weird. Um, just like, you know, sometimes wouldn't be able to get a hold of him when he should have been, like, off work. Um, so it just felt like something was weird, just kind of was this feeling, and I didn't really know what to do. So, I mean, months went by.
0: And then it was time to move again. This time, they were heading to Florida. It's a big move, but it's also another adventure. So they pack up everything all over again.
1: The day I moved to Florida, for some reason, just, like, saw something in his phone that made me think that something, like, wasn't right. Like a text from someone. It seems like a lot of calls from, like one person like kind of weird and I asked him about it and he basically was just like no basically told me nothing to worry about that yeah we're just close friends like yeah maybe we got too close but like nothing ever happened and so because everyone thought they were Brian's best friend he was super friendly like everybody wanted to talk to him and get his advice because he was super smart and like people just like were drawn to him so that I just kind of was like oh that's why, like, it's kind of weird, but that's why. <laughs> and he was like, you know what? You're right. I'll pull back. So, this person,
0: woman, with whom Brian is communicating, it's a coworker of theirs. She and Emily know each other, but they're not close. But now Brian is saying that he is close to this person. So, what should Emily take from that? Is Brian cheating on her? There's a um, podcaster-slash-therapist-slash-god amongst us named Esther Perel, who's one of the world's experts on infidelity. And one thing that Esther says is that cheating is hard to define. It varies from person to person, from relationship to relationship. Is cheating sex? Is it kissing? Is it watching porn alone? Is it time or energy spent on someone not your spouse? Ultimately... That's for every person to decide for themselves what it means to be unfaithful and how to handle it. Which is what Emily did. For her, there was no need to flip out, smash his phone, no need to call up her mom or her sister to spill the beans and just hash it out behind his back. There was no need to confront this woman or kick Brian out of the house. Emily was honest and direct with Brian himself she brought up her concerns, Brian addressed them directly, and he made a plan for how to adjust his own behaviors moving forward. And for Emily, that warranted trust in the person she loved.
1: Basically, I just wanted to move forward and be like, "All right, let's get back to let's get back to life and like enjoy our time here, enjoy our time together, like having fun." And honestly, I felt like it had. We were doing a ton of different things. Like, we'd go to the beach every weekend. Um, we learned how to surf together. We got season passes to Disney. Like, we spent tons of time together. And it seemed like things, it was like, all right, it was just all in my head. Like, he wouldn't be doing this if if it had been true.
0: So, Emily and Brian move on. And so does time. It goes from summer 2014 to summer 2016 with I suppose there were some other seasons in between there. But summer of 2016, nearly three years into their marriage, things that seemed really good between them are starting to get a bit undefinably cloudy again.
1: It just felt a little bit off. Just, like, you know, him just being on his phone more and me just feeling like, why? I don't know how to explain it. It's just like uneasy feeling.
0: It's a feeling, it's nothing concrete, nothing she can put a finger on. Anyway, less than a week before their third wedding anniversary, it's June 8th.
1: Brian had taken off work that day because he was gonna drive down to Miami There was, like, a Yeezy release that day, and he wanted to try and get them. So he took off work and was driving down to Miami, and I was going to work. Yeah, okay. Heading down to Miami
0: to pre-order a pair of really expensive, exclusive sneakers. That's his thing. Emily and Brian each get in their cars and drive off in opposite directions.
1: He was texting me basically all day, just, like, giving me the play by play of what he was doing and like how just having like a good day down there um while I was at work. Um so then I got home from work, just called him to kind of see where he was and he was going to start his drive back from Miami. Um and he just was like, I'm driving, there's traffic, like I'll be there, like, around this time. He did tell me, like, my phone is dying, so I can't talk to you the whole time I'm driving. My phone's dying. Okay, if you're like,
0: okay, really, dude, your phone is dying and you don't have a charger in your car? No. Brian never had a charger in his car. It wasn't a new car with a USB thingy that makes it easy to charge. Emily just knew him as a guy who didn't have a car charger. It's not weird for him. So time passes. She doesn't hear from him. And she assumes that the battery in his phone died.
1: And then the time passed that he was supposed to be there. And I tried calling him. And it just went to voicemail. Um, And... I think another hour went by and I tried calling him and it went to voicemail. And I remember that's when I called my mom and I was so mad at him at that point. I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I cannot believe Brian will not answer me. He was supposed to be home an hour ago and is not home. Like, I just, I was so mad. And my mom was like, It's okay. Like, trying to be understanding, like, you never know what happens. Like, he's probably just stuck in traffic. Like, no problem. And, I mean, at that point, I didn't, I didn't really know what to do.
0: Were you um, thinking, like, when this guy gets home,
1: I've, yes. got, I've <laughs> got a
0: monologue prepared. I'm going to grab that phone from his hand. I'm going to get to the bottom
1: of this. I was so mad I was going to go off. And I talked to my mom and my sister that entire night, and my mom was just like, well, Maybe we should call hospitals and see if he's there. And I was like, Mom, that's dumb. Like, if I call the police and put out a missing person report, he's going to be so mad when he gets home. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, he's going to be like, I was just driving. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look really, really crazy. Um, But what I did do was I just Googled the traffic on the route that I knew he would be driving. And... I saw that there had been a fatality on the turnpike. And as much as I didn't know, I kind of knew it was Brian. I I knew it was Brian. I don't know how I knew, but I knew. And I, I mean, I tried to like rationalize with myself and say, no, he's just stuck in the traffic. It must be really bad. That's why he's late and his phone died and that's why he can't call me. I used to worry about everything, just like anything happening. And for some reason, as when I saw it, like I knew it was him. I just, I wasn't like super worried anymore. I like, I'm like, that explains it. And it's really hard to say that, but it like I just knew, I knew it was him. So my sister actually called hospitals and just to check and see if he was there. And she called back and she was like, he's not there, so like, that's good news. Like, it's he's probably just stuck in the traffic. But, I mean, hours went by. And then all of a sudden, there was like 2 in the morning. And I was at home with my dog. We were just watching TV, waiting for Brian. And there was a knock on my door. And... I was like, okay, that's Brian. Um, He just like lost his key or something, like totally understandable. Let me go get the door. And I remember looking out the door, and it was two police officers. And I was on the phone with my sister at the time. I told her, I was like, hey, hold on, like, there are people here. And they came in, and they wouldn't tell me anything at first. They were just like, they asked who I was, and I was like, yes, that's me. And they wouldn't say anything. They just were like, is there anyone that you can call to come here? And I was like, no. um, I really don't know anyone here. Um, I'm on the phone with my sister, though. Like, can you just tell me what's going on? And they confirmed that the accident had had been Brian. It was, at first I just like felt really, like I didn't believe them. And I was like, wait, can, can you hold on one second? I gotta tell my sister. And I was just like, Carolyn, Brian died.
0: We'll be right back. We're back. With Emily and the police officers who have solved the mystery of where Brian has been. Why he hasn't called, why he hasn't texted. It's because that fatality that Emily saw on Google Maps, that was her own husband's death. And Emily is alone in Florida. Brian is dead. Emily's parents, her sister, they live out of state. Outside, the police officer stay on Emily's front porch until 10 a.m., just so she won't be alone.
1: I felt like my life was this, like, circus. <laughs> um, like, I had no control. Um, it was, like, the worst day of my life. And I know people just wanted to help, but it was... I don't think I would have wanted to be alone, but it was also really hard to be with people, too.
0: But people do show up. There are things to do. And those people around her step in to do it. Step in to plan the funeral, to coordinate every detail that Emily just can't deal with.
1: The Monday after it happened, um, they like gave us the okay to... We could go down to where his car was and like my dad and his dad went to the car and like got out what honestly they thought that I would want. and um, then, you know went had to get like the stuff that Brian had on him at the police station. but my dad was like, honestly there there wasn't a lot that we could salvage because was pretty bad.
0: There wasn't a lot of stuff. But there were only two things that Emily wanted anyway. Brian's skateboard, which did not survive the wreck. And Brian's phone, which was there in the car where it had been sitting for the past
1: five days. It was obviously dead. It was just something that I felt like would make me feel close to him, like see Just, like, what he was doing that day and, like, the texts I had or, like, just anything. Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like, I just, like, wanted to turn it on.
0: It's hard to explain, but not hard to understand, is it? Our phones, and this is such a 21st century thing to say, they're so connected to who we are. They contain what's important to us. Our communications with the people we love, our bank information, our passwords, our secrets, our hopes. Our accidental selfies when we didn't know the camera was forward-facing, looking up our noses. Our intentional selfies where we just want to see what we really look like, but don't want to post them to Instagram because it's not that good of a photo. Or the many, many outtakes of selfies it takes you get a photo that you could post on Instagram when you're just sitting in your backyard, smiling at your phone, pretending like you're not the person taking the photo. Our phones are just things, but they're things that contain essential truths about us. So Emily is sitting on her couch, holding this part of Brian, this blank brick of a thing that survived the car crash that he did not.
1: There was, like, sand or something in the little charging port. And I was like, oh, no, I'm never going going to be able to see this because the charger won't work. And I saw there was, like, sand in it. So I'm sitting there with, like, a little pin, like, trying to get the sand out and trying to get the charger to work. Um, Finally do. And, you know, plug it in. It has that little, like, dead. But I'm, like, waiting for it to, like, boot back up. And I'm, like, sitting there. And all of a sudden it starts booting back up, and I'm like, okay. She's going to see
0: Brian, whatever's left of him. And there is the lock screen, his lock screen.
1: I've seen it a ton of times before. Um, It was just this picture from our wedding, but it it had been that picture for a really long time.
0: And suddenly, the phone catches up with the past five days. And that photo of the two of them on their wedding day starts to get covered up with notifications.
1: Just, like, all these texts started coming through. And it was just, like, people who hadn't heard from him and were just like, hey, like, are you okay? Like, are you good? Like, things. And I just started, I start just looking through the text messages and seeing um, just, like, names or like numbers that I like don't recognize and I'm like these aren't like it just didn't make sense so I start like scrolling back through a few of them and was like I I just felt like I remember when my mom was trying to talk to me and I was just I'm, like, looking at the text, and she's, like, trying to say something. I'm, like, Mom, just stop. Just stop right now. And I'm, like, I got to go. So I walk outside and just start, like, scrolling through. And, like, it just felt like, who, like, what are these? Like, how did I not know? And it was just, like, text messages with several different people, that had either were either talking about things that had happened in the past um or things that were happening actually like very recently. And I uh, mean
0: not not like work stuff, I'm assuming. Not like work stuff. Not like yeah, not, not like just checking yeah. up on that report.
1: Yeah, no. No.
0: These are messages from women that Emily and Brian worked with. But these are not work messages. This is also not what Emily was looking for, not what she expected. And we will be right back. We're back. Emily has just discovered that her husband, Brian, who died five days ago, was having some extramarital affairs. He was cheating on her. I don't know the, the words we're supposed to use. He was having a relationship with a woman who was not Emily. Whatever your definition of infidelity, this would likely fit into it. It fit Emily's definition, certainly. And standing on her porch on their third wedding anniversary, five days before the funeral, Emily is feeling this all hit her in full. That the suspicions she had in 2013 and 2014 were right.
1: The texts were very recent. Um, some of them, like there were texts from the person that I had thought something of what was happening before, and they um, were saying things like, oh, yeah, remember when this happened? And it were they were talking about it, like, back then. I was like, wow, like, that kind of confirms that back then, like, I was so dumb. I didn't know. And uh, there's another one that, like, also someone that I had known, too. And it was from, like, a couple days before. These were not ambiguous. These were messages where you were like, "Okay, it's not like I had a good time at work with you doing our work." No, um, it was like, "Yeah, talking about like meeting at hotels or something like that." Like uh, Emily, yeah. Oh okay, Emily.
0: So you are you are a you're a fresh widow, by the way. Yeah, your mom yeah. is on the couch. You are mm-hmm. on the porch reading yeah. your recently uh, deceased husband's text messages.
1: Yeah. What
0: the fudge do you do?
1: Um, The first thing I do is pick up the phone, and I call one of our friends who knew both me and Brian. I broke down on the phone, and I was like, I think Brian was cheating on me. And she was like, no, no, like, he loved you. And I'm like, no, I'm reading these text messages, and she basically was like, look, I know he loved you. I know that there were things that he has done that don't reflect well on him, but I know he loved you. You know, back two years ago, I knew that that had happened, but I didn't know how to tell you. Brian and I didn't talk for six months. She was like, I promise I didn't know it was happening again, but it doesn't change the fact that he loved you. And I just was like, I feel so, so stupid <laughs> um, for sitting here and being sad and, like, finding this out. Like, sh- And it was really hard. Like, should I be sad? Did he- yeah, of course I should be sad. But, I mean, she was the only person I really told um, for a while. I Like, I didn't go in and say, Mom, guess what? Like, I didn't. I didn't tell really anybody because it felt like it felt really a little bit embarrassing. And also, like, he just died. Like, I don't want to ruin, like, what people think of him. There's
0: more on that phone. As details about the car accident emerge, Emily starts to put some pieces together. Brian was alone in Miami that day, not with another woman. He really did reserve those Yeezy shoes. But he was texting with another woman, and right before that car accident, his phone was not dead. He'd used it to call that same woman, a woman whose number was saved in his phone under a male name that belonged to a friend that Brian and Emily had in common. So more information for Emily only leads to more questions, more shame. And of course she doesn't want to tell people because what
1: would she say? And what would they say? I didn't really know what to do and I felt like if I had like people would question or like just form their own opinions and it it was really hard for me to think like there might be someone else out there who thinks like Brian cared about them more than me and I was like I can't deal with that and like I know that's not true but just like thinking that I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't put that out there. (laughs)
0: And, of course, it's not just shame that Emily is feeling. It's a massive amount of truths. That she and Brian loved each other. That Brian just died. Suddenly and horrifically. And that before Brian died, he betrayed her. He lied about it. And that Emily will never, ever be able to talk to Brian about what he did. And this betrayal is being revealed to Emily as suddenly as his death was, plunging her right into two very difficult and very traumatic situations.
1: If it was just one thing, like if he had just died, or if, he had, if I had just found out he was it, you know, I feel like it, I could have gotten through it. But
0: that's not what happened. He did both. And now Emily is left somewhere in the middle.
1: It was like I still loved him and I I still missed him and I still wished he was there, but then it would go back and forth between that and, like, I miss you and I wish you were here, too. Why did you do this and do you even care?
0: How do you delicately hold all of these massive seemingly contradictory truths? That you love a person who hurt you deeply? That you were betrayed by a person who can never explain themselves to you? Who can never have a role in his own forgiveness? How can you grieve what you had while grieving what you didn't know? How do you not let shame overtake you or let yourself be swallowed by anger towards a person whose death has also filled you with sorrow? Well, in the short term, maybe you don't. The next few days after turning on Brian's phone, Emily was filled with raging, swirling, flooding emotions. Too complex to show to anyone. And there were things to do, so she had to present it as simple. Here's the thing. If you're looking for a venue at which to keep the message simple, a funeral is what you want. The dead are easily and often sanctified. They were the best husband. They were the best dad. They were the best kid And that's true. And it's true that they weren't always the best. Not 100% of the time, not most of us anyway. All of us contain multitudes. We all, in some way or another, are in danger of being defined in death by our worst qualities or our best ones. It depends on the day, and it depends on what is found in our Google search histories with all of this inside her, Emily prepares for Brian's memorial. The space where they tell the story of his life and do the work of defining him. Of delivering a simple message to help people understand who he was and how to grieve him. So what do you want people to remember about Brian?
1: I mean, the thing that I think people should remember about Brian is... He was the funniest person. He was the life of every party. He had a smile that everybody was drawn to, and that's because he made them feel like everybody was super important to him. He had time for everybody. Um, He really was, like, the best person. He just made a lot of mistakes.
0: What was his memorial like?
1: Um, A blur. (laughs) Um, It was definitely a blur. Um, I remember just crying the whole time. There were people there that I hadn't seen in years that came. There were people that I was like, cannot come to this funeral. And I told one of my friends, and I said, I I need you to stand outside, and I need you to, if these people come, you need to tell them they can't come. Because I didn't know what I would do if they had.
0: gets through the memorial and remains on autopilot.
1: You know, as the weeks kept going on, all I was doing was moving from my bed to my couch and not doing much of anything. And I kind of felt like I need, I need to give myself something else to do because all I would do is sit there and think about it, think about that he died and then think about I cheated on me and just go through so many things in my head so honestly it turned out to be a really good decision to go back to work and put my energy into something else but also that had, that had a lot of challenges too going back to work
0: I mean you're going back to the job where you met him yeah and where yeah. like where he fell in love with you and also where he betrayed you
1: yeah yeah i wanted to stay there because it felt like a tie to brian it felt like important but i think it it definitely it it hurt a lot i always felt like that elephant in the room like all these people probably know not just that he died but know this other thing too but no one says anything about either of it this so it's really, really difficult to kind of feel like I was, like, the talk of the town. <laughs> um, but no one was talking to me. Mm.
0: That sounds so lonely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, it made me really mad that he chose to do that. Like, it's like, couldn't couldn't have been someone I don't know? <laughs> Truly. Like, like that couldn't would have it have been a better f- secret? Okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like... Please, But, yeah, it would meet me right in my face. A lot.
0: I have some late-breaking news for you. A part of grief is anger. Hot, searing, raging anger. You have anger in all kinds of grief. But Emily has more to be angry about than just Brian's death.
1: I felt like I had this huge secret. Um, So... It was more. My anger came out in journaling, um, where I would every night I would just like write to Brian like the things that I was feeling. And sometimes it was like I miss you, like I'm so sad you're not here, and I'm I just wish you could come back, and I wish we could do all these things. And other times it was like me being mad at him, where I was like, Do you even care? Like. Do you even care? Do you care that this is what I'm going through now? Like, does this matter? Like, why did you do this? Like, why? Why did you do this? Um, Where I would just, like, honestly, like, ask over and over, like, why? Like, did you love me or did you not? Like, I didn't want to share it too much.
0: What was your fear about sharing that part of Brian's history with people?
1: I felt like they would think that, oh, well, why, why are you sad? <laughs> because clearly he, he cheated on you, so you shouldn't be sad. And, you know, as I started to get more comfortable telling people, um, I've had people say that. Like, well, why are you sad? Like, you clearly wasn't a good person. And that was something that, I didn't want to hear because I think he he is, in other aspects, a a good person. Um, And it doesn't change that I'm still sad that he died.
0: So, this is the other side of simple. The other side of the funeral where we sanctify someone and distill them down to only the better parts of their being. This is the simpleness of a flaw or a mistake or a bunch of flaws and a bunch of mistakes. When people do bad things, it's easy to make them bad people. It's not just easy, it's honestly very satisfying. We get to sort them out and say, you go over there with the bad people and we are less sad about you. But it's really never that simple in either direction. People are not just good or bad. Relationships are not just good or bad, no matter how much we want to believe that they are. You may have had some experiences in your past or your present with cheating, and you may have made different choices than Emily. Lots of people are unfaithful. Lots of people are forgiven. Lots of people aren't. Relationships survive worse, and relationships end for less. It's very simple to say, well, your husband died, but he did cheat on you and lie to you, so you shouldn't be sad. But cheating on your spouse is not a death sentence, at least not in our country in this century. Emily's grief is complicated by Brian's infidelity, but it is still grief, a really complicated, tangly grief that is hard to process. I mean, do you think it, like, makes you go into relationships in a more open way? Or in, like, a more, like, oh, fuck, I can never fall in love again, because, like, look what
1: happened. Yeah. um, I am a little bit more open, but I'm also... I've become extremely insecure. Um, And I think that's been the hardest part. Um just like and and I think now before I was mad about him dying and now it's like I'm mad that he like did this and it's like really impacted me not just because he died, because that's incredibly tough, but now it's it's like I feel like I, I am a little bit less trusting of people. ...than I had been before.
0: Now, Emily has friends who she talks with about Brian. She confides in them, and they're supportive. At one point, she did let it slip out while talking to her mom. But for the most part, for a long time, Emily has kept Brian's secrets... It's a big jump to go from like not telling anybody about this to doing a podcast interview about this. (laughs) Why do you want to talk about it now?
1: I think now I feel more ready to talk about it um, than I did before because I finally left the job that we were doing together. And I think I'm the one that knows actually what happened. And, you know, for me to be able to talk about it is, like, reclaiming the story and what what actually happened. Like, everyone has this misconception or, you know, their idea about, like, Brian or what happened. And I know there's a lot of people in my, like, immediate family that don't know. But it is something that now, like, a lot more people, like, in my life are starting to know that this happened. And I think the more that I keep it close to me, the more it's just going to play into me being insecure, like, just get it out there. Like, it happens. It doesn't define me. It's not excusing it, but I, I'm never I'm never going to be able to talk to him about it or find out the why. So, I don't know. It's, it is a part of my life and just working through it, I guess.
0: Emily's love is not an absolution, just like her anger is not a condemnation of Brian's entire being. What both of them are is a choice, the way that Emily is choosing to see Brian and remember Brian. She sees him as he was, but she has no way of seeing what may have happened, no way of answering all the ifs that come up.
1: A lot of people say, like, you know, if, if you had found out, would you still be together today? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Um, it, it's really easy to be like, what if, what if, but I, I don't know, M- maybe, like, maybe, um, but I don't know. It's
0: a complicated way of loving someone, and difficult, holding multiple things true about someone at once. With all the Me Too work we've achieved, all this cancel culture, we are all grappling with these big questions of accountability, forgiveness, and redemption. And so is Emily, even still. If you have questions about what the heck Brian was doing, how he felt, how he could do all of these things, so does Emily. And her choice to forgive him Is a choice that Emily is making and remaking over and over and over, and she's the only one who can make it, because she's the only other person in that relationship. Our relationship to Emily, our relationship to Brian, is ours. We can choose to think what we want, but their relationship to each other is theirs. And if Steve McInerney were here, do you know what he'd say? He'd say no one knows shit about a relationship except the people in it. And dad, I would add to that. And I would say sometimes even those people don't know shit about the relationship. Sometimes we're in relationships where the truth is obfuscated, where our sense of self gets lost or gets rediscovered. Sometimes we do things that we don't understand, things we're not proud of. Sometimes we're faced with the unexplainable actions of someone we love. And Emily's relationship with Brian had all of those things. Brian hurt Emily. And he also got her out of her shell, out of her comfort zone. They spent the majority of their 20s, a formative decade of life, together. But someday, that balance of time will tip. And she'll have lived more of her adult life without Brian than with him. So what does she want? What does Emily want out of this interview? Out of this life? For her future? Well, it's very simple. And by that I mean not at all simple. It's complicated. It's so messy. Because this story wouldn't exist without Brian. But it isn't his story. It's Emily's story. And yes, it's sad. And yes, it's messy. And it's romantic. And it smells like Abercrombie and Fitch cologne and Cinnabon. And more importantly, it isn't over yet.
1: I mean, I... I would love to, like, be in a relationship again with someone who, like accepts brian because i now have like adopted a lot of the things that brian was um and it's completely changed like who i am as a person so even though brian did this he's the reason that i'm the person that they even like um and it's hard to find someone who can do that um and, like, appreciate him, but also, like, understand what happened. I I truly love and appreciate Brian, but I, I don't want it to always be marked with the sadness that sometimes right now it is.
0: Mcnerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. I'm just trying to pump up these credits for the true terribles out there who listen all the way through. Marcel Malikibu, associate producer. Hannah meekock Everything. Everything to us. Literally, what makes our world go round is not the rotation of... What does make the world go round? I got to ask brains on. Wow. 37-year-old, 36, first of all. First of all, I'm still 36. Self doesn't know what makes the world go round because it's a flat earth. So obviously I know we go around the sun. Yes. <laughs> but we also rotate while we're going around. Oh, my God. You, The smartest you'll ever be is eighth grade. And after that, it's all downhill. You just get dumber. Maybe junior year of high school is your smartest. And then after that, just stupider and stupider until you're dumb as me. (laughs) Anyway, Jordan. Jordan Turgeon. What do we say about her? Does a lot of work for us. We appreciate her. Megan Palmer. Megan Palmer. New intern. Vegan. 100% vegan all the time. It's very impressive to us. So... Um. Thank you to John Hernandez, Alex Baumhart, Anna Weggel, and Tracy Mumford for coming to our little table read of this, giving us your notes, asking questions. We have some book recommendations to go with this episode. Really, you just got to read everything that Esther Perel has written. She's written Mating in Captivity and, most recently, The State of Affairs. Both are excellent reads. She also has a very good podcast called Where Should We Begin? I recommend listening to that. You can follow um, our show on Instagram at ttfapodcast or find me on Instagram at Nora Borealis. That's not my real last name. It's a play on the Aurora Borealis. A lot of people don't understand that. I don't know what to say about that. But again, I did not know how the world spun. Um, Joffrey Lamar Wilson is the creator of our theme music and also a recent dad. Uh, we are a production of American Public Media, and if you listen to all these credits, you send me a comment on Instagram, and I will send you a hundred no, dollars. <laughs> I won't. I don't have that money. I don't have that kind of money. I'll send you a hundred doll hairs. <laughs> 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 did you? Remember, you didn't pick up Emily's little or Megan's little snort? That was our little intern snorting, and I called her Emily. I don't know why. Because oh, because we just did an episode about a woman named Emily. Our intern Megan just snorted. Megan Palmer, snorty intern.